Um, if you've been in church for a while, you know this story, but if you have not, uh, maybe this is brand new to you today, but I want to tell you uh, where we all came from. Is that okay? Uh, can I kind of let us in on the sort of the secret and the mystery of history, right? Like where each one of us came from and how we came into being as, as people in this world. And here's how the story starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And six days made the universe and everything in it. And on day one, he made the light. And he separated the light from the darkness. It says he called the, the light day and he called the darkness night. On day two, it says he separates the waters from the waters. He creates the sky, the expanse that we see above us and the, the waters down below. And on day three, separated the dry ground from the water down below. And the dry ground he called land and the water he called the seas. And on day four, created the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that we see out in the beautiful universe. And on day five, created all the birds that fly around in the air and all the fish that teem throughout the sea. And on day six, created all the land animals and then capped off his creation. After having said for five days, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Caps off his creation with the, the cherry on top, the greatest part of all of it, this creature that was and is unlike anything else, any plant, any tree, any star, any other animal that he had made on the earth. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. Starting in verse 26, it said, Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, all the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then we skip down to verse 31. It says this, that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Of all creation, everything that God had made, every plant, every animal, every beautiful thing in the universe, everything that he brought and breathed and spoke out of nothing, there is one creation that stands above the rest as a creation made in his own image. And it's us, mankind, human beings, you and I, every person you know, every person you don't know, every person that has ever lived or will ever live or alive today, made in the image of God. The word image in, in the Hebrew is the word selem. It's a word that just simply means to uh, image, an image or a likeness that bears similarities and represents a reality. It is not, let's get this clear, it's not the reality itself. Okay, this is an image that represents a reality that is meant to kind of image forth a reality that is greater than itself behind it. So in other words, we as image bearers of God are not, we are not uh, his perfect duplicates. And yet we do represent his character and his personhood by our very nature. We do not share some things about God. We do not share his eternal power. We do not share his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his sovereignty. We don't share these things. We are not gods. But we do share his unique morality, his volition, his intelligence, like the, the, the ability and the capacity to reason, think logically, intelligently. 
And even his holiness as beings set apart from all other creation, as God is set apart from everything as the creator, uncreated God, we are set apart from creation as created beings made in his image. This is who we are. And it is our intended purpose, as it was the purpose of every image that would be set up in the, in the ancient world by a king, because kings would do this, right? They would go into the world, they would set up their images in lands that they had conquered. Why? To let it be known. I have conquered this land. I own this land. If I conquer it, I set my image up in it so that everybody that comes across this image understands who owns it. And it is our created purpose as the image of God in this world to do that very same thing, to let each other and all creation know that this world is owned by the king, by God, right? God himself has set up his image all over the earth. Uniquely, we are uniquely created Beings who bear the image of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says that we are formed by God's hand for his own glory. That is, we are created by him to glorify him by representing and acting out his character and will in all the earth. This is true of every person on this earth. And in Genesis 2, 25, we kind of see at the very end of chapter 2, it says this. The man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked and they felt no shame. So these, these created beings that God makes in his image through the first two chapters of scripture are living with zero shame, zero guilt, zero fear, zero sin in their lives in perfect, absolute perfection, relationship with God and one another. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And y'all, we get perfection through two of them. Two chapters. Perfect. Everything's great. But something, somewhere, goes wrong. Right? These people, these image bearers of God, holy, almighty God, living in perfect relationship with him, with one another, really with all creation, need inside of themselves something else. Something, I can't quite put my hand on it, what it is that they needed, but they needed, they desired, they craved more, didn't they? As we walk through this series, this twisted series, here's, here's what we want all of us to understand. That we are created in the image of God. And yet, as Romans 3.12 says, all have turned aside and have become worthless. I know it's a harsh word, but this is what the word of God says. Paul, he says that all have become worthless. No one who does good, not even one. And Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard that God created us with, the image that we are supposed to bear forth in this world to bring glory to him has been twisted in us through our sinful desire. It's funny, but it's true. And so, it's our desire that you would see, and we would all see together, the gospel of Jesus and how great and glorious it is. But if we're going to see that, if we're going to understand how good the good news is, first we have to understand how bad the bad news is, and how corrupt and twisted we are in our nature. To understand that you and I are sinners against a holy and righteous God. 
who deserve his justice, his punishment. We deserve death and condemnation because we have exchanged him for something else. So let's look at the very beginning here in chapter 3 of Genesis. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. That's maybe the saddest verse in the Bible. That chapter 2 ends with naked and unashamed, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with all creation, and most importantly with God. And then a few verses later, they are ashamed of who they are, of what they have done. Their very nature is now shame and fear and doubt and guilt and death they know is coming to them. And so God begins to come to them in that relationship that they had before. And now they no longer want to speak to him. They no longer want to see him. They want to run and they want to hide in their shame. And so just a few observations about what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. The first thing is this, that Satan begins, and this, this Satan, by the way, 2 Corinthians 11, Revelation 12, Revelation 20, they all point back to this moment, and uh, the, the writers of those New Testament texts say that this is the devil, right? This is Satan in the garden. The, 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 the serpent of old is what they call him, right? This is Satan in the garden. He begins by tempting Eve with a question. Did God really say... And then he kind of further pushes on that point and goes, God just knows, right? God knows that if you eat of this fruit, that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. What is Satan trying to get Eve to, to question here? The goodness of God. Is this not the nature of our sin? Is this not the nature of your sin and my sin in our lives at its very most basic reality? That you and I are tempted every day to ask that question. Is God really good? His word tells us over and over again how good he is. He's already made everything in the first chapter when he says that from him comes everything good, right? James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Ephesians 1, 3 says that we have every blessing in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that in Jesus, every promise of God is yes and amen. And it's Satan who just comes to Eve and just goes, yeah, but you don't have that. God has kept something from you, has he not? You have everything, I get it. Yeah, God's given you a lot of great stuff. You have this whole garden. You have all the fruit that you can eat. You have all the trees around here. You have perfect relationship with your husband. You have perfect relationship with God, but you don't have that. There's something else, Eve. Right? Did God really say, is God really good if I don't have that, that when you eat this, that you'll what? You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. That's what he tells Eve. What's the crazy thing about that statement? They were already like him, right? 
I mean, chapters one and two make this so clear to us. Adam and Eve created in the image of God. They are like him. But Satan's thing is that he's just coming to them going, yeah, but you're not enough like him, right? Don't you want to be more than that? You don't, you don't just want to be like him. You want to be him. In fact, the Hebrew way that the, that the writer that, that Moses wrote this when Satan asks Eve that question is this, that God knows that when you eat that fruit, you will be as God. That's what, that's what it really says. That you'll be as him. That you'll be God, Eve. You see, Eve didn't just want to know God anymore. She wanted to be God. But God did not create us to be him. He created us to glorify him. Created to glorify God, not be God. This is the nature of our sin. In our pride, in our arrogance. And we see this so many times throughout Scripture, throughout history, and in our own lives. You know this is true, right? You do this every day. You and I, we do this every day. We try as hard as we can to play God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that we exchange the knowledge of God for our ignorance. As if to say this, we would rather know nothing at all than know God. That is the nature of our sin. Like we are so blinded by our desires of our flesh, by the desires of our eyes, by the pride of our hearts, that we would rather turn away from the God who gave us life just to have anything else. Something that we can hold in our hands, something that we can taste and touch, something that we can see, something that makes me feel good about me, something that allows me to control it and to be, I can control this. I can be God of this. Right? This is what Satan does, guys. This is the oldest trick in the book, and Satan really hasn't changed his tactics. Number three, Eve is tempted in three ways. She's tempted in three ways, and here's the things that we're actually going to walk through in the rest of this series, okay? These three things that Satan tempts Eve with, because again, Satan hasn't changed his tactics. He, he continues to do this today. We see this all throughout Scripture. Here's the three ways that it says she is tempted. She looks at the fruit, and it says this. She sees that the fruit is good for food, right? That it is pleasing to the eye and that it is desirable for gaining wisdom. It's good for food. What is that? That is just carnal desire. The Bible calls this lust. Now, when we think of lust, we most often think of just sex, and it certainly can be a, a misused sexual desire, but this can also be any just fleshly desire, right? The desire for food, the desire for drink, the desire for sleep that we abuse, right? Desires that are corrupted by our selfishness, by our sinfulness, right? This is what we call lust. That's the first thing. The second thing is it says, she says, it is pleasing to my eyes. We call this greed, covetousness, right? If we simply want something, why? Because we don't have it. You ever want something because you didn't have it, right? Every day, this is a temptation for us. And then it says, finally, that she sees that it is desirable for making one wise. The fruit spoke to her pride. Lust, greed, pride, right? These three things, this triad of human temptation. Guys, we see this all throughout Scripture. Y'all remember King David, 2 Kings chapter 11? He, he sees this woman named Bathsheba. She's bathing on her roof, and in his lust, what does he do? He, he just continues to watch her, right? He, he lingers there, and he watches her in his greed, in his covetousness. He takes her from her husband for himself, right? That is the 10th commandment, that we should not covet our neighbor's property or his wife, 
right? And he does that. He covets. He greedily, greedily takes her for himself. And in his pride as king, one, he wasn't off at war where he should have been. He was king. He could do whatever he wanted. He was prideful. And two, he uses his power and authority to take advantage of her and then cover it up in more and more sin, lust, greed, pride. We see this even with Jesus in the desert. Satan comes to Jesus and he tries to tempt him how many times? Three. In these three ways. It was food, right? That's just lust. That's just fleshly lust. It was, it, was, it was greed. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And it was pride. Throw yourself down from this temple. Let the angels catch you and show everybody that you're God, right? Greed, sex, pride, lust, pride, right? Like it's all these things. It's the ways that Satan continues to come at us every single day. And he comes at Eve this way in the very beginning. Here's the way uh, the Apostle John writes this as he's, he's describing this very thing. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, for everything in the world, here it is, the cravings of the sinful man, that's, that's, that's lust of the flesh, right? The lust of the eyes, that's greed, that's covetousness, and the boasting of what he has and does, that's pride. He says that comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. In our sinfulness, we are not acting according to our created design. We are loving the world and the things in the world more than we are loving God. Again, back to Romans chapter 1. This is probably the, the best discourse on sinful nature in the entire Bible. Where in Romans 1, Paul kind of describes this way, all the ways that we sort of exchange God. We exchange the glory of God for images. We exchange the truth of God for lies. And I just told you, we exchange the knowledge of God for ignorance. Like we just continue every day to turn away from him and do what we want to do. Why do you sin? Because it tastes good. That's why you sin. That's why I sin. We like it. It's fun. It's entertaining. Sometimes it gets stuck in your teeth. But that's okay. Because it tastes good. Because it pleases our senses, our flesh, our eyes, and our pride. And this is the way it's been from the very beginning. Now, Last observation. Did Satan hand her the fruit? Anybody? No. Satan talked to her. Satan tempted her, right? Satan questioned, asked the question. That's what he does. He didn't hand it to her. He certainly didn't force it down her throat. It says Eve took and she ate. And then she gave it to Adam, and he took, and he ate. No forcing anyone's hand. No, really, like, just, just deception and lies from Satan. But at the end of the day, all he was doing was putting in front of them what? What they already wanted. Why was she anywhere near the tree? She had an entire garden, right? You ever thought about that? She has this entire, I don't know how many days it was between creation and this moment my guess is maybe one right she has an entire garden of all the fruit and all the vegetables and everything that she could eat and she was by that tree you know why because she's like us we're just curious are we not 
We just have that craving in us, do we not? To go back to that thing that we know is off limits to us, that we know is not for our good. And yet we look at it and we crave it. We desire it. We lust after it. We need it for our pride and we take and we eat. No one forced this on her. Listen, sin, church, sin is not something that just happens outside of us or just happens to us. Sin is something that happens inside of us and through us first and foremost, right? And we live in a world, I know this is a hard sell in a world full of victims, but listen, we are first and foremost not victims of sin, but perpetrators of it. Yes, people sin against us. I'm not saying they don't. People hurt us and lie to us and all that, but you have sinned against you and you have sinned against God more than anybody else you know. You, me, our sin from inside of us, that's where it starts. Why was she even near the tree? Because she was curious. And that was inside of her. And Satan just gave her what she wanted. Again, didn't even give it to her. Just put in front of her. This is what you want. Now you take it. And she takes and she eats. James 1, 14 and 15 says, When each person is tempted, he is lured and enticed, listen, by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And this is the reality for every one of us, that our hearts are rebels against God. We have turned away from him in our sinful nature, refusing to follow him, listen to him, love him. John says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And we cling to these things, and we love these things, and we listen to these things, and we hold these things dear to ourselves. Because why? Again, it pleases our flesh, it pleases our eyes, it fills us with pride, and makes us feel good about us, so that we can be God of our lives. This is the nature of sin. And again, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Because Adam and Eve are our ancestors. You and I share the same nature that they, that they had. This nature that craves these things. This nature of sin. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. And in this series, again, over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through those three areas of sin. And we're just going to kind of talk about those things and dig into them and ask, man, are these things, do these things have grip in our lives? Do these things have footholds in our lives? Are we walking in, in lust or greed or pride? Are we doing these things? Are we turning away from God? And how does that look? And how do we then begin to actually live the lives that God has called us to live the Bible tells us and the gospel teaches us that at the very nature of who we are, the core of who we are, we have twisted the image of God in ourselves. And we have become poor versions of what we were always meant to be. And here's the thing, man. For you and me, I just think this is a decent illustration of this. Like, I know some of y'all would honestly eat this, but like, who, who, who would want this right now? Right? Like, honestly, like, I'm just asking you, and I walked up to you, like, here, you want this? You want to have this? And you look at it, and you're like, no, that's nasty. Right? COVID, for one thing, weird. But, man, just like, no, you, you bit off that. You ate, it was gross. Right? I don't eat after each other like that. But, man, I, I think in our sinfulness, if we really begin to understand that, and like I said, we need to see the bad news first, and this is, to be sure, it is bad news. 
Because the Bible tells us we are under the wrath of God. We are living in darkness and death. The wages of our sin is death because this is who we are, twisted and broken and corrupted in our sin. We have no hope and no God in the world. We have turned away from him. So here's the question we ask ourselves. Who then would want that? Here's the gospel. God wants that. God wants that. He wants you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, a world full of broken and twisted and sinful people. If God didn't love people, sinful people, he wouldn't love people, right? If he didn't love sinners, he wouldn't love anybody. If he didn't love twisted and broken human beings, there'd be no one to love. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. He loves us because he's our creator. He made us in his image and he wants to bring us back to life. Here's the way the word of God says it in the book of Colossians. Paul writes this, Colossians 2, 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then in chapter three, verse eight, he says, but now... Each of you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since, listen, you have taken off your old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Do you hear what he's saying? In Jesus and through the gospel, though this is the reality for every single person who has ever lived, that we fall short of the glory of God by our sinful nature, our wicked desires inside of us to turn away from him and follow after ourselves and be our own gods, that God loves you so much that he sent his own son to come and to redeem you and to restore what is broken, to restore what is twisted. He says, take off the old self and put on Christ, and in him you will be renewed in the knowledge into the image of your creator that this through repentance and faith in Jesus becomes new again that we take off the old self that we lay that self down at the feet of Christ in the cross we say, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that everything I've done, I did. I did because I wanted to do it. I sinned against you, God, because I wanted that more than you. And yet you wanted me. God wanted me and he wanted you enough to send his own son to pay the price for your sin. For your rebellion, his son got death on a cross. And that is the gospel. Not that you and I were good enough, but that we were nowhere near good enough and Jesus is good enough. And he came and he died for our sins. So here's what I want to do. Like I said, we're going to walk through that for the next three weeks. And just each one of those kind of natures of sin with greed and pride and lust. But uh, this morning as we kind of kick this series off, 
I just really want to give an invitation because like Amy was saying earlier in her uh, communion thought, I just, I, I believe too, I believe that there is someone in this room right now who's still that same old dead sinful person. You have not come to faith in Jesus. You have not laid yourself down before him and confessed, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm twisted. I'm broken. I need you, Jesus. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now today to make that decision to follow Jesus. So let's do this. Just everybody in here, just, just bow our heads. I want, I want you to bow your heads with me. And listen, if you're a Christian, if you are a Christian already, you follow Jesus, you've been baptized in his name, I want you to take this moment, man, just to pray uh, and, and, and repent of your own sin if you need to do that, but also just pray for those in this room who maybe don't know Jesus yet. And just pray that God would move in our hearts, that his spirit would work on us and change us right now. And his spirit would bring to life someone who is dead in sin, as his word says. And then if you are in here this morning, right now, and you know that that, that twisted, that corrupted person, that sinful person, no matter what it is that you've done, no matter what that looks like, whether you're young or old, anywhere in between, whether you've lived a life doing all sorts of crazy things, or you've even just committed one little sin, the Bible tells us we are dead in that sin. We are corrupted and useless because of our sin, and yet God gave his son to save us and bring us to everlasting life. So if that's you this morning and you just want to receive Christ as Lord, I'm going to give you an offer and an invitation right now that you would actually stand up out of your chair and you can come down front here. Pastor Scott's right here beside the stage. I'm right here. And we just want to talk with you and pray with you for just a second. That there is an invitation right now, not tomorrow, not next week. And if you have not made Jesus your Savior and your Lord through faith, through confessing Him, that you can do that now. I heard this message when I was eight years old and I stood up and I came forward because I wanted to receive Jesus. So if that's you, stand up and come. You have an opportunity right now to put faith in Christ, to come from death to life in this moment through Christ Jesus. And if you're a Christian, just keep praying. Let's pray that God would move. If there's anyone, if there's anyone, just come to Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would continue to remind us of these truths, Lord, that not one of us in this place, not one of us in the world deserves your grace, deserves your mercy. We deserve judgment. We deserve death and condemnation because we have turned away from you to our own devices, our own desires, our own pride. God, I pray that as we move forward in this series the next few weeks, maybe that you would just continue to speak your word into our hearts. Reveal to us how we are broken in these ways, how we're twisted, God, and just continue to renew us, continue to untwist us, continue to uh, remake us in the image of, of you again through Christ Jesus made new in the image of our creator. We're so thankful that you do that for us. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you still, God, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, their hearts, their minds to see Jesus for who he is and receive him as Lord be baptized into his death as we read this morning and raised to new life in Christ. So God, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us first. So we just say we love you too. God, and we thank you that, that you have sent your son 
for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all. Hey, listen, um, yeah, I'm going to hang out right here still if you would like to just talk or pray with somebody, okay? Um, We'd love to do that for you. And listen, come on back next week as we continue through this series. Uh, Thank y'all for being here today. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday.